The Drum Candy Podcast is brought to you by Drum Factory Direct. Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome into episode 11 of season four of the Drum Candy Podcast. This is your host, Mike Dawson, coming to you from Drum Factory Direct in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. This week's guest is Connor Dennis. Connor is the drummer with the band Beartooth, and he's been touring with them for a number of years. And he's a young man with a pretty long career as a touring musician. So we talk a bit about his life getting into this business, um, managing home life and touring. And he's also a gearhead, so we dig a little bit into gear and his love of Gretsch drums. It's a real fun hang, so let's get to it with Connor Dennis. We got to talk about the space you're in. Is this a, a new room here? What do you got going on? Yeah, so this is a bedroom spare bedroom at my house so i moved last year and like i'm kind of in a temporary spot right now so it's pretty small and as you can see i just have a ton of drums crammed in here everywhere (laughs) yeah it's crazy like i almost can't even you can hardly walk in here but yeah I'm, i'm supposed to be moving soon and and hopefully building out another uh appropriately sized space so yeah but this one's been good to me man so you are fresh off a rather long run with with Beartooth do you have a um like an extensive to-do list or how do you I mean how do you prepare to come off the road you gotta have so much stuff waiting for you yeah it's tough it's tough yeah we were just on uh the tour that I just saw you on we were we were on the road for about eight weeks um which is definitely longer than, than a typical uh, tour for us. But yeah, like you said, I mean, I, I came home and just had a ton of stuff waiting for me. So it's kind of, I find it kind of impossible to like appropriately prepare for, you know, everything that I've got going on at home. But um, yeah, I've been home for about a week now, but we just had to fly out to do something else for the band. So so then I had to, our time home isn't even like, you know, we were supposed to have like a month, but we just had to fly out to do some music videos and stuff. So I don't know. It's kind of crazy right now. I'm like <laughs> trying to adjust, but I'm all over the place. Like, I don't, I don't know what time zone my body is in. I don't, it's just, it's just kind of craziness right now. And you're literally going back out in a couple weeks. Yeah. So on July 18th. So yeah, we got like two and a half weeks. And we do um, Australia and Europe. Oh wow! And how long does that run? That runs like about a month long, so that one's not too bad. Um, Australia should be fairly easy and and cool, and we don't go there too often, so it's like it's still always exciting to go there. Not that it's not exciting to go to the other places, but we do Europe like twice a year. So, um, but we're uh, we're doing those summer festivals over in Europe, and so those are always fun. Is there a like a fall winter break? I mean, what is what is Bear Two cycle? Is it nonstop or what do you guys do? Yeah, so we are off after that Europe tour. We're off for the rest of the year, so we'll have the majority of September, October, November, all of uh, October through December. We're completely off, um, and I think we have one show in September. Yeah, I mean, it, it changes every year, but typically we'll kind of have a big chunk of touring uh somewhere in the middle of the year like we did kind of the same cycle last year where from february to august we were kind of just non-stop um just with like little two three week breaks in between tours um and then we had the end of the year off and that's kind of what we're doing again this year it just varies based on you know what tour offers come through and what makes sense um but yeah this year's been pretty brutal so I didn't realize how long you've been touring because you're you're a young man. You're in mid twenties, but is it true that you started touring when you were sixteen? Yeah, yeah. So I started touring on like a local band DIY level um, when I was fifteen, and I started doing it more professionally when I was uh, seventeen. So when I was seventeen is when I started touring internationally and doing it like you know six to well the first couple of years it was like nine ten months a year um which was pretty ridiculous but <laughs> yeah that's that's so i've been doing it full-time for almost a decade now 
So you literally don't know any other other way of life. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. This is it. I've, I've spent my whole adult life doing this. So, does it feel more normal to be on the road now? Then, you know, I, this is going to sound hilarious because of what you just pointed out. But I'm a total homebody man. So, like, I pref- I love being at home. Um, but yeah, like when COVID. Uh, uh, happened and obviously we didn't tour for you know almost two years it was like very eye-opening uh to how just how used to being on the road i am and it was you know i was excited to be at home but it felt so weird like i didn't know what to do with myself being home for more than a couple months at a time and that really pointed out to me like oh yeah this is my my mind and body is just so used to being on the road at, at least half a year. Do you maintain your kind of road chops when you're off or do you not need to at this point? I play every day. So yeah, yeah. I, I kind of just, the nice thing about the way that we tour is it's, it's nonstop at times, but then when we're home, you know, we're home. Like when I get home in September, like, you know, I'm not picking up the phone or doing anything band related for four months, you know, so that'll be nice. And when we have that time, uh, I still play a lot. I just kind of try to record stuff and um, I'm, I'm always working on stuff and always practicing and trying to learn new things. So, so yeah, I feel like uh, I know some guys who like they get home and they don't, they don't want to touch, they don't want to pick up drumsticks at all or do anything, but yeah, I don't know. Like I, I got home, uh, last night from, from doing these music videos and stuff. And this morning, as soon as my girlfriend went off to work, I couldn't wait to get it here. And, stuff. and so, yeah, I don't know, man. It's kind of just all I want to do. So speaking of your girlfriend, she must be tolerant of noise and gear everywhere. <laughs> oh, yeah. She's a saint. She's a saint. Yeah, there's drums everywhere. And it's funny because I buy so much Gretsch stuff. And I ramble about it. Unfortunately, she has to listen to it. She's familiar with all the all the different eras and stuff. So I'll be like, I'll come home and oh, I found a Facebook Marketplace deal today. I bought a kit. She's like, oh, is it a round badge or a square badge? <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> That's pretty cool. So when I saw you, you had bought a couple snare drums or something. So is that just something you do on the road? You're just scouring for for cool things to pick up. Yeah, that's kind of a new thing for me. So okay. uh, actually, um, Chris Hawthorne, who we hung out with when I saw you in Pittsburgh, he kind of inspired inspired that in me. Uh, I became friends with him a couple of years ago. I went and visited his shop when we were in Pittsburgh. And we were just talking, and, and he started sending me deals. Like, he, he's always looking on marketplace and reverb and craigslist and everything and he sent me a couple of deals uh that he found in florida in my area and kind of helped me figure out oh this could be worth this this could you know so i started buying stuff half with the intent to resell it but also like oh if this is cool maybe i'll keep it um and then i was we were on tour and i was like man this is a lot there could be a lot of buying opportunities so i started getting on facebook marketplace and looking you know three four days ahead of of um wherever we were going to be i would just get on there and look and yeah funny enough i found i found a few really good deals so uh, so yeah i picked up a few drums on that last tour where do you put them they just go under the bus so this is actually funny we had typically we're only in one bus and so we have like a full bus 12 people uh but on this last tour we were fortunate enough to have a band bus and a, and a crew bus so we had a lot of extra space so we had a lot of bunks uh that just weren't being used so we had this one bunk that everyone was referring to as the drum bunk because <laughs> it was just one, like by the end of the tour there was like four three snare drums in there a random floor tom that i found at a pawn shop bunch of stuff so uh so yeah they were they were living in the drum bunk (laughs) 
So how many kits can we blame Chris Hawthorne <laughs> for you acquiring? <laughs> and he's probably, I have one on the way right now. That's partially his fault. So, uh, as you know, he loves, he loves his Camco drums. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I just, I just bought a Camco kit that I've got on the way to me now. So, so yeah, he's, uh, he's responsible for a part of my problem for sure. <laughs> So, I mean, I can't talk. I have a lot of gear, but why, why, what's the, what's the appeal for you for getting a bunch of different drums and seeking things out? Well, it started with the Gretsch stuff. Um, you know, I, I endorse Gretsch and I'm pretty outspoken that they're my favorite drums out there. And I love all the new stuff and all the stuff that they've built for me. But what introduced me to Gretsch was uh, an 80s square badge kit. That was the first Gretsch kit I ever played like something like 10 years ago. And uh, so once I was able to afford, you know, to look around and, and, and maybe pick a couple of those up, that's kind of what started the whole thing. I started hunting for those and I ended up with a pretty big collection of them. Um, and, you know, I have a lot of drums that kind of do the same thing, a lot of the same sizes and stuff. And But what I find is uh, when I get some of those new kits and you set them up and they all kind of do a different thing. It just makes me want to play and it makes me want to record and it makes me want to search for new sounds. And I don't believe that you have to spend money or buy several drum kits to do that or to achieve that feeling. Uh, but it definitely can help. So yeah, I started getting all these different drums and I just found that, that it just kind of inspired me and motivate motivated me to like get better and learn new things um and yeah i kind of just got like addicted to that feeling i guess what is your current tour kit my current tour kit is a gretsch usa custom uh 13 by 9 16 16 18 16 24 by 16 kick uh and i'm using the gretsch solid steel snare uh 14 by six and a half uh, I've had that kit out for about five years now. Hmm. Um, I love those drums, yeah, and they only get better with age. So I plan to keep that one out for a while and just let it get beat up and, you know, get, build some character. Has it needed any maintenance, like new spurs or anything like that over the years? Nothing, man, nothing. The spurs are all, the spurs are actually gross. It's funny you mentioned that because our stinger likes to come over to the drum riser and drink water and spit it out. So my <laughs> spurs, particularly on one side that he, that he does that the most, it's like all rusty and like is kind of gross. Um, <laughs> but not to the point that we have to replace it yet. And the, the finish too, because the, they're, uh, they're lacquer. They're, it's a piano black lacquer. So, uh, and if you know about those, the Gretsch nitrocellulose lacquer, it's like you could put your fingernail to it and it'll scratch. So, um, yeah, it's pretty, the, the finish is pretty beat up, but I love it, man. That's that's why I wanted painted drums. I'm like, I'm going to get a paint job kit, take it out and just let it get roughed up. Now, do you think when it's time to retire that kit, you'll, you'll, you'll do something, you'll keep it sentimentally? I mean, what, what do you think you'll do with it at the end of its lifespan? Yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. Um, I end up in a, in a museum somewhere. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> As you can see, I do keep a lot of drums. So, so yeah, I'll probably keep them around. I, I really, really like that kit, even though I have like, I don't know, six or seven Gretsch kits with a 13.9 and a 16.16. <laughs> um, you know, can never have enough. Can never have enough. So, I'll probably keep it around, but who knows? We'll see. What about symbols? Symbols, uh, Zildjian, and I have been rocking the 15 inch K fat hats. Um, those are newer to the Zildjian lineup, and I really, really like them. They're kind of like a, they sit in between a K and an A, kind of remind me of like a K light, but also a, a new beat. Um, so I've been really digging those. And then 19 inch A custom crash on the left, uh, 20 inch K custom dark crash on the right, 21 inch K sweet ride, uh, 19 inch K china, and a 20-inch K Sweet Crash. We kind of just 
shook things up recently. We were we were using um, all A customs for the crashes for a while, and we were using the A Sweet Ride. Um, but Matt, my tech, and I were talking about let's just switch it up. We kind of got bored with using the same stuff over and over again. So put some of those K's into the mix, and uh, yeah, we really like it. What about drum heads? On the toms, coded emperors on top and controlled sounds on the bottom and snare vintage emperor on top, uh, hazy ambassador bottom. And then the kick is a uh, coded power stroke three uh, and a power stroke three on the front with big center hole. All right, I want to keep on the nerdy tip tuning. What is your approach to tuning for live? Yeah, so I tune my toms uh, very high. So I, not very high relative to, you know, like a jazz guy or something, but for the type of music that we play, um, it's, it's kind of, I kind of go with like the, the bottom approach. Um, when you sit behind my drums, they feel really high and kind of like, it, it kind of takes you by surprise. like doesn't really uh, fit the bill for like a metal band. But when you stand out front of the drums, all of a sudden they sound huge and they don't sound, you know, they don't sound super high anymore. You know, I'm sure you know how that is. It's like you sit behind the drums, they sound one way and then out front, it sounds completely different. So a lot of times people are surprised at how high I have them tuned up, but I really like the response that I get from the heads that way. Um, and that's just the sound that I like. Sometimes, sometimes I have to like walk the line between what what I really like and and what I'm digging at home and what I'm inspired by, and then what actually fits in with the band. So, you know, sometimes it's like I gotta I gotta figure out a middle ground between those two. Um, but yeah, I think they sound really good, and I think it actually it actually works really well having them tuned up higher. Is that a conversation you have with front of house, like how the drums sitting, or do they ever give you suggestions? Totally. So, fortunately, everyone kind of lets me do my thing. So, so Caleb, the singer of the band, he's kind of an audio nerd, and he's a drummer as well. Um, so he has a pretty big, you know, he, he has a strong opinion on on what he wants the mix to sound like, and um, but he trusts me with the drum sound and he's always, he's pretty much always satisfied with it. Um, and our front of house guy sometimes will be like, Oh, I'm getting a weird ring from this or, Oh, the 18 sounds like the same pitch as the 16 or little things like that. But for the most part, everyone's pretty cool. And, uh, and lets me so many front of house guys will want you to like throw moon gels all over the toms and, and cotton balls in the drums and, and kill them. And I'm like, I just, I can't. I know it might sound good out there, but um, the way it feels from behind the drums, I just, I just hate it. I just love a wide open kit. Uh, um, so yeah, everyone's pretty cool about it. And uh, aside from little pointers here and there, they kind of just let me do my thing. Now, what about the kick drum? Because the style of music you're playing kind of requires a very sharp sounding kick. How do you tune it and treat it? Yeah. So the kick drum, we don't tune it. I wouldn't say we tune it high like we do the rest of the drums, but uh, it's definitely not like finger tight, which is how a lot of the guys in, in kind of the scene that we're in, a lot of the guys play with their kick drums uh, almost finger tight, maybe just a, a little bit past finger tight. So we have it a little bit higher, but it's still it's still pretty like clicky and, uh, you know, punchy for lack of a better term. And I think the center hole we have a since we have power stroke three on both sides uh it's it's pretty dead like you don't get that like you know papery tone that you might get with like an ambassador on the front or something like that um and with the center hole especially it's like you know it's a really quick note just kind of in and out um but yeah works for us and we don't have much muffling in there either just like you know, a really really small blanket or towel or something Hmm. but not, not not too much now you were tweaking the snare tuning for like the first three songs at the pittsburgh show 
Yeah. What was going on? <laughs> okay, so so I said we use a coded vintage emperor on snare. That's new for us. So for a long time, we were using um, the coded Emperor X, which is you know like the thickest snare head that Remo makes. And I never liked that head, but I liked the durability and security of, of knowing that I'm I'm not going to bust through a snare head ever. You know, so uh, that was nice. And also at that point, it's like you know had to think about how many heads am I going to be ordering? What can we afford? You know. Um, it's a little less of an issue now. Like, fortunately, we're able to to order a pretty big chunk of heads um, for every tour. So I, t- I talked to my tech, and I was like, let's, let's just try something else. And if, if it doesn't work durability-wise, we'll figure it out. But, like, I just want a more open snare sound, kind of like what I play at home. And so we did the Vintage Emperor. And, um, yeah, with that head, it's like... I find that with and on the snare drum that I'm using, it's a it's a ten lug drum, so it's like little tiny tweak, and all of a sudden you're in St. Anger Town. So sometimes I'd get on stage and it'd be like a little loose, and like sounds great, but I'm not getting the rebound I need because you know I have to play a lot of fast stuff in the show, so the feel is pretty important too. And then I'll crank it, and I'm doing it so quick because like I know. Caleb's talking points like I know how much time I have so he's talking and I'm like oh I I gotta we're about to start the next song you know so I'm not like doing it super carefully and then we start the next song and I'm like I tuned it too high you know and then I go back down so I try not to do that like like typically if I get up there and it's it's not sitting exactly where I want it I'll just kind of live with it um but but yeah that night that was a that was a funny one, and I think you watched the first few songs from on stage, right? So you had, yeah yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you had a front row seat to me, just like panicking and trying to figure it out. Yeah, so sometimes that happens. Like we're still kind of figuring out um, how to get the drum where we want it with that head on it. It really just durability wise, because the first day, the, first, the second day, it always feels and sounds great, and then once it starts like you know, the coating starts fading a little bit and maybe the center is pitting a little bit. Uh, it starts getting a little wonky, but yeah, we try and I don't, I'm not, I don't like to change snare head like every day or anything. So I try to just make it work. What were you, what are you searching for when it's between too low and too high? Like what is the, what's the sweet spot? What are you looking for? Man, it's just the feel that I need. Like, when it goes too high, it still feels really good, but then it just sounds crazy in the ears, you know, like it's just like full 311 mm. like, and I, you know, so, um, I don't know. I guess I still want like a fat kind of medium rock sounding snare, but, but sometimes when we achieve that sound perfectly, we go and play one of the faster tunes and I'm like, I, I can't. Like I, I can, but it doesn't feel good rolling or rolling on this drum, mm. you know, when I have to do really fast singles or something like that. So, yeah, I guess it's just like kind of a a fight between the perfect sound and, and tone of the drum and then the feel that we're trying to, uh, you know, that we're going for. So, yeah, sometimes those two things, you know, do not complement each other. Does it change venue to venue, or at this point, is it pretty oh, consistent? Yeah. No, it changes venue to venue for sure, yeah. Like, some days, one day the snare will sound perfect, and then the next day we'll get in a room, and it's the same drum, same sound, you know, head has held up great, and it's just not there. You know, we just got to change something. Um, and it feels different, too. I don't really know the science behind that, but, man, sometimes the drums just don't feel the same, you know, and... I don't know. Some some days on that tour, we were I was on the floor instead of being on a riser. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Maybe that had something to do with it. But and then the guitars too. Like sometimes the cabs are like a little behind me, and then the guitars are really really loud. And then sometimes they're a little bit in front of me, and then I can't really feel or or hear them as much, you know. So I, there's just a lot of things that play into it. Um, my approach is kind of like change as little as possible because if you get it to a good spot. 
you know, it might be a little worse one day or a little better another day, but you're always kind of somewhere near where you want to be. Um, we have guys who are like tweaking their ears mixed every day and stuff. I'm like, tomorrow it's going to be a disaster. You know what I mean? Like you're making it perfect for today, but tomorrow is going to be a nightmare. So I just kind of keep mine the same all the time. And, uh, and yeah, that, that, that works pretty well. Speaking of in-ear mix, um, I assume there's some click track coming through your ears. Like, what's your what's your balance for everything? Yeah, so my mix is um, my mix is kind of like sorry, it's messing with this light here. My mix is kind of like a front of house mix um, with drums at the front, uh, click track really really loud. And I have the vocals pretty loud as well. Um, but the guitars are all like super balanced. And um, the drums aren't aren't too hot. Like I've, I've heard a lot of guys who have whatever it is that they play, like kind of blaring in their ears. Um, but I like to hear the whole band uh, pretty, pretty evenly. So, and we don't, we don't play like, you know, we play the same show every night, but we have a little bit of improv in it here and there. And I never really play the same thing twice. So for that reason, I like to actually feel the band and kind of feel everyone's mood and, and how they're playing that night. And cause it, it kind of dictates where I'll go for the show, you know? Did you always know you wanted to be a touring musician? When did this kick in for you? I definitely didn't know that I always wanted to be a touring musician and like what that looked like. Um, I started playing drums when I was 11 and um, pretty quickly I was just like pretty much immediately I was just obsessed with it and it was kind of all I wanted to do and I used to spend probably I don't know six hours a day or so playing for the first like five years that I played. Um, didn't really do anything, didn't go out, didn't hang out with friends or anything. I stopped everything else I was doing. I was just playing drums all the time. And luckily my dad allowed me to do that. Um, and yeah, I really what happened is I took some lessons with Aaron Gillespie, the drummer from Under Oath, uh, when I was 13. And he was, he was my favorite drummer and uh, you know, definitely like my biggest inspiration at the time and I was lucky enough to get some lessons with him and after the first lesson uh, he kind of pulled my dad aside and just and just said some really complimentary things and, and kind of said look your, your, your kid can definitely uh, has a shot to, to do this and you should you know support that and whatever and I didn't hear the conversation but I just remember leaving the drum shop and getting in the car and my dad being a little bit like shaken up and Aaron's a pretty intense dude. Um, and yeah, and I remember my dad being like, you know, kind of flipping the switch and being like, you know, kind of telling me, I think, I think that this is what you should do. And I think you should go for it. And yeah, when I was uh, a senior in high school, I got a call to play for this band called being as an ocean. And uh, my local band at the time had done some shows with them when they were touring through Florida. And uh, yeah, they called me and asked me to play drums for them. And so for my second semester of high school, I switched to online and went out on the road with them. And I toured with them for two years. That's how I met uh, Caleb with Beartooth. We did a tour together. And I ended up quitting that band. And uh, a few months later, Caleb called me and then kind of here I am. So I didn't know that it would turn into this. I didn't know I'd be doing it for 10 years now. And, you know, even when I was doing the being as an ocean thing, I kind of felt like maybe this is a cool experience that you'll get to say you had and do it for a couple of years. And then, you know, kind of see where life takes you after this, but it just kind of kept spiraling into other opportunities, you know, um, to the point where it just made sense to keep doing it. So I kept doing it. And of course, I, I love playing drums more than anything, man. So to have the uh, opportunity to do it for a living is 
you know, amazing something that I'm, that I'm super grateful for. So yeah, short answer. No, I don't think, I don't think that I knew that I was going to be doing this the way that I'm doing it. Uh, but you know, I just kind of taking what life throws at me and running with it. Amazing. Forks Drum Closet, Nashville's full line drum store. Celebrating its 40th year in business, Forks is independently owned and operated in the heart of Music City. Specializing in drums and percussion, Forks offers great discounts on all major brands and will beat any retailer's advertised price. From new and used equipment, vintage drums, and marching and orchestral instruments, Forks has something for every drummer. They also offer professional rental, repair, and restoration services, as well as drum lessons. Stop by their storefront at 308 Chestnut Street in Nashville, Tennessee, or call 615-383-8343, or go online at ForksDrumCloset.com. So you've been you've been touring for almost 10 years now? Mm-hmm. How's your body holding up? That's a lot of hours on stage playing high-energy music. Yeah, man. It's, it's starting to hurt. Like, you know, like I just said, I started, I started doing all this, um, at a pretty young age. And I think when you're that, when you're that young, you don't realize, uh, that, you know, the way you feel the way I, I know I'm still young, but the way I felt at 17 is not the way I feel at 26, you know, at 17, it was like, I was eating whatever I wanted. I was I was eating five minutes before going on stage. Didn't affect me. Like you know what I mean. Now it's like okay, we play at this time. Okay, I'm not going to eat past this time. Okay, I'm going to start stretching at this time. I'm gonna start, <laughs> I still hurt, you know. So um, yeah, it's like it's pretty aggressive music, and I've definitely had to make some changes, um, you know, in order to just just kind of take preventative measure and and you know hopefully. Um, you know, prevent serious injury because I had some issues with my wrists and my arms, and so I adjusted my setup and started using smaller sticks. And I'm, I'm always kind of trying to do whatever I can um, to keep myself in the, in the in the best shape for for doing this. And uh, but yeah, man, it's it's tough for sure. And uh, yeah, it's it definitely takes a toll. So you you mentioned stretching. What is your what is your typical show day kind of pre prep? What do you do? Yeah, so I don't do much like early in the day leading up to the show. But once we're a couple hours out uh, from showtime, uh, a, a big thing for me that I started doing a few years ago is just trying to relax and be calm. So uh, probably about an hour and a half before we go on stage. I'll uh, kind of stop being on my phone and, 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 you know, I'm not really engaging in much conversation or anything, just kind of sitting around and taking deep breaths and um, just trying to get almost like in a meditative state. And, um, and then once we're, you know, about 45 minutes out from showtime, I'll start stretching um, and uh warming up a little bit but i don't i don't really find that like playing on a pad really does much for me to to get ready for a show maybe just banging around a little bit but like i don't have like a specific routine that i like to do or anything it's really just about getting my getting my body ready um to get up on stage and play a long show so yeah a lot of stretching um full body stretching too like I find it's really important to get your legs stretched out and because I've, I've gotten on stage before and with all the double pedal stuff that I have to play where my left leg has like locked up on me where I have to like, you know, dude, it's debilitating. It's almost like I have to like stand up and get rid of a cramp or something. Oh, wow. So yeah, so after experiencing those kinds of things, I'm like, all right, you gotta, you gotta make sure that you're super loose before getting up there. And yeah, so it's nothing too particular, but, um, but yeah, definitely a lot of importance on the stretching. What about like hydration and, and diet? Are you like pretty particular about that now? Yeah, diet is kind of out the window, man. I'm a, I love food and <laughs> it's a problem for me. So I, I try on the road and, you know, um, you know, I kind of I'll kind of have stretches of like being on like a bender where I'm just kind of eating like an animal and then. 
for a few days, you know. Um, I'll try to get into a routine, and sometimes I'm successful, but usually not. But, uh, but yeah, well, I definitely drink a lot of water. Definitely. Uh, I used to be like a Diet Coke fiend. Like, I was drinking copious amounts of Diet Coke. Like, I can't, what, however much you're imagining, it multiply it by 10. Like, what? It was ridiculous. So, I stopped drinking Diet Coke almost a year ago. So now, uh, just a lot of coffee and water, really, just black coffee and water. And yeah, I definitely, I try to, I try to finish uh, a full water bottle like within an hour before we go on stage. And then I'll drink like three or four while we're on stage. Um, sometimes I'll have Gatorade up there too, but typically I'm just kind of just sipping on water. You ever had to pee in the middle of a gig? Yeah. I haven't acted on it. <laughs> we played a show, dude. We played a show in uh, in Germany uh, earlier this year. So we did a Europe a Europe tour in March of this year, and um, Germany is like our biggest market in the world. Like we we sell more tickets there than anywhere else. So the shows were, you know, were pretty big for us, and and we were all really excited about it and stuff. And, I forget what city we were in, but it was the biggest, I want to say it was the biggest show of the tour. So we had like all this production, we had pyro and all kinds of stuff. And, and we're all really excited about it. And we're like halfway through the set. And I'm like, dude, I'm, I'm going to pee my pants off. Bad. I gotta go so bad. So I just keep trying to like psych myself out. I'm like, you only, I would look at the set list and I'm like, you only got one more song to play. And I would just look at the next song, you know? And then when that one was over, I'm like, just one more, one more song. You know? I kept making these little goals for myself. And when we walked off for the encore, I looked at the band and I'm like, I have to go pee. Like I, I absolutely, there's no way I can make it through the whole encore. And unfortunately the green room was in the back of the venue so like, you know, the stage is here, green room's over here. And the only way to get there was go up all these stairs and you have to walk across this almost like a bridge to the back of the venue. So I sprinted, I sprinted up those stairs and over this like sketchy bridge thing over the crowd and uh, went to the green room, peed, came back. As soon as I got back, they were ringing out and walking on stage. Oh, geez. <laughs> I made it back with like a second to spare. Um, but yeah, yeah, sometimes it happens, man. I, I try to, I try to go to the bathroom, like, you know, five or six times. Like it, that's almost, a, a almost like a, like a nervous tick before the show, like just going in and out of the bathroom and just trying to get out. And what about other weird things that happen on stage? Stick breaks? I mean, are you always prepared for that kind of stuff? You ever had like a cymbal break on a gig or anything like that? Oh, yeah. We've had a ton of stuff happen. So uh, I have a stick bag on the floor, Tom, with like, you know, several, way too many sticks in there. So I'm always prepared for that. Um, and I, I, I used to play my sticks until they broke, but now I, I usually toss them um, you know, when they, when they start feeling a little light and kind of funky, I'll toss them. So, so I don't really get to the point where they break it still happens here and there, but not too often, but I would say, and we've definitely broken symbols on stage. Like on the last tour, we, we broke two or three, um, where we noticed it during a show and I'll just kind of look at my tech and he, he actually sits next to me on a, he sits on a, like a, backup simple case so mm. we've got a backup like we have one backup of everything on the kit um right next to the drum riser at all times so because if i break like my left crash or something i'll probably finish the show with it or a china or whatever but if i break the main ride or the main crash it's so noticeable and i'm, I'm living on those for like the whole show so if i break one of those mid-show we'll, we'll definitely change it um but I would say the craziest thing we've had happen was last year we were playing uh, in uh, Raleigh, North Carolina, and in the middle of a song, my snare drum went from this perfect sounding, medium high tuning to like 
as if I had put a big fast snare drum on it. Like, <laughs> it's just giving me nothing. And I'm like, first thought is I'm like, I blew out the bottom head because, you know, that is, I don't really go through like batter heads on snare. I don't, that's never really happened. So I'm like, I probably blew out the bottom head. So I'm playing and I kind of reach my hand under to check. And I'm like, no, the bottom head's fine. And the wires are fine. What's going on here? <laughs> so keep playing and I'm trying to figure it out. And I never figured it out. So like after that song, I took the took the snare off. He handed me my backup. We always have a backup snare ready to go as well. And we throw it on at soundcheck every day to make sure it's, you know, kind of matching the other snare. So it's not too big of a deal when we throw it on. Um, and we have all the mics for the snare, the two snare mics. We don't clip anything to the snare because we used to do that. And then we had to change snare once and it was such a process to unclip it, get it on the new one. So we have everything on its own stand um, so we can change snare really easily. Anyway, after the show, I'm like, we gotta go look at this thing and see what happened. We go over and I cracked the die cast hoop on top. Oh. <laughs> a little like, you know, uh, the little like divot where the, you know, where the tension rod goes in just came clean off. Oh, wow. <laughs> so essentially I was playing with the seven lug snare <laughs> <laughs> amazing yeah so that's probably the weirdest uh most unexpected mishap we've had on stage um but but yeah we, other than that we, we we run a pretty tight ship so we've been pretty lucky and nothing too crazy has happened let's talk about you getting involved with Beartooth. um you kind of mentioned it a little bit but how did you become the member a member of Beartooth and and what was that original? Was it just a touring gig originally, and then you became a member? Yeah. yeah so uh, the same band I mentioned before, Being As An Ocean, uh, when I was playing drums for them, we did a warp Tour in 2015, and we were on the same stage as Beartooth. Um, Beartooth was a relatively new band. But it was just pretty obvious that something was kind of going on with them like every day when they were playing they had these great crowds and you know a lot of people from other bands coming over to watch them and they were just there's a lot of buzz around around the band for sure um so i was watching them a lot you know and just really enjoying their show and caleb the singer of Baratooth, um like i mentioned he's a drummer as well and on warp tour you know your your set times are different every day you find out the morning of the show. So you, know, you wake up and find out, okay, you're playing at 11.30 a.m. today or you're playing at 7 p.m. So you, you just wake up at like, you know, I think everyone gets the set time to like 9 a.m. or something. So every morning you kind of wander over to your, your stage and I would set up my kit. And for me, even if we were playing at five, six o'clock, I'd usually set it up kind of first thing when I woke up and just hang out over there and, maybe jam on it a little bit quietly and talk to the other drummers and whatever. And we kind of always had these big drummer hangs going on. And uh, funnily enough, like Caleb was always kind of joining in with us. And I think a lot of us didn't know that he was a drummer, you know? So he was coming over and hanging out with us a lot. And, you know, somebody would sit down and play a certain groove or chop and then teach it to all of us and whatever. And all just kind of trading ideas. Um, and him and I just kind of connected on, on initially we connected on this, this kit that I was playing because it was, their sizes were ridiculous. It was a 14, 18, 20, 26. <laughs> and I was young and I think I just like, I was getting really into big drums and I was like, I'm going to do a kit in bottom sizes. And then I was like, you know what? No, I'm going to do 14, 18, 20. I'm going to have to drums on the floor, you know? So I did that. It was really stupid. And uh, <laughs> he was like, oh man, like I always, I love 26 inch kick drums, whatever. And I think that's kind of how we started talking and whatever. And yeah, we would just trade ideas all the time and just kind of became buddies. And uh, fast forward to, uh, that was, so that was summer of 2015. And at the end of that year, I quit uh, being as an ocean. So I was kind of tired of the 10 months of year touring and, just uh just the way that 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 ship was running it just wasn't for me um and i just wasn't really enjoying it anymore so i quit and 
I uh, I went and did some some recording work and stuff, and then Caleb called me in uh, March of the next year, 2016. So he called me and he's like, "Look, you know, we we you know the, the spots opening up. We need a new drummer. So uh, can you do this tour?" And that that's all it was originally. It was like, you know, we need someone to do this tour. And I kind of knew like they don't they don't have somebody. So if this tour goes well, you know, this this should turn into a permanent thing um and i was a fan of the band and so i was like you know definitely super excited to get that call um so yeah i did that whole year with them 2016 um and then we you know i i knew it was permanent at that point but the band wasn't putting out you know the band had just put out a new album and stuff that was already marketed with the four of them and all that so he was like look when the when we're working on the next album you know we'll talk about how we can structure this to make it a full-time thing. Um, and that's what happened. So 2016 and 17, I was a touring member, but, you know, doing the same job as all the other guys. And then uh, in 2018, we kind of, you know, made it more of an official thing, I guess, uh, kind of publicly. Um, so yeah, but nothing really changed because it's kind of like a it's kind of like a hired gun gig anyway. Because uh, Caleb writes all the music and records all the music, and and the band we're just kind of we're just kind of there for the live show. Um, but you know we we take you know the photos together and stuff. He doesn't. I don't think he likes to market it as like a solo thing. You know, he wants it to be a band. So. Um, so yeah, so that's really the only thing that changed. But yeah, so I've been playing with them for for a little over seven years now, and uh, yeah, it's been great. What are the specific demands of Beartooth for you? Yeah, so it's really just kind of being there for for everything that the band's got going on uh, outside of making the records, you know. So all the touring, all the shows, like. You know, obviously I do all of that. And then, you know, like I just got back from this trip where we shot these music videos and, and some other stuff. So anything that's got the full band in it, you know, I've got to be there for that. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a lot, man. It's a busy gig. And, you know, especially um, the last couple of years, I think post COVID we're kind of making up for lost time a little bit. So, um, so it's been super, super busy. Um, it's good man you know we we have a really good uh we run a really smooth operation and after doing it for so long you know you kind of work out the kinks and figure out what works and what doesn't so um yeah i think we're in a good place and and uh yeah everything feels good so what's your approach to learning the songs so you say caleb does all the the stuff in the studio so you honor his original part is there any flexibility and leeway once you get this on the road does it evolve yeah so there's to be honest there's kind of like unlimited flexibility and leeway which is kind of crucial for me because i you know i totally i know my role here and i, I knew what the I knew that I was the live guy when I accepted this offer, right? Like I knew I wouldn't be playing on the records or writing or anything. And I'm cool with that. Um, but definitely from the first tour, it was like, he kind of gave me free range to do my thing. And that's what makes the gig so enjoyable for me is that I'm not on the records. I don't get to get my like creativity out there, but when we play live, you know, he, I mean, I can't remember the last time he looked at me and said, oh, can you play it more like this or could you do this? He kind of just trusts me with it. Um, and I think that we have similar enough drumming styles that his his parts and then what I do with them, uh, it, it works really well. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of unlimited flexibility and yeah, he lets me play the stuff however I want. And my approach to learning it is uh, I really like to learn songs like as a listener first, if that makes sense. So I know some people like to like immediately chart the parts out and do that kind of thing. But um, I like to just listen to it and kind of learn the lyrics and, and be able to sing along to it as if I'm a fan of the band. Um, and through that process, the drum parts kind of just just second nature just get 
ingrained in you, you know? And then when I sit down to play it, um, typically things will come to me that he didn't do. Like, you know, I'll keep the main groove the same, you know, and I don't, I'm not completely changing parts, um, but I kind of play the fills however I want. And I'll, you know, little, little intricate parts that he'll do, I'll kind of bury them a little bit um, just to make them more comfortable for me and kind of suit my style a little more. And yeah, he's really cool about it, man. It's 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 uh, it's honestly like my favorite part about the gig. It's just that that he trusts me and uh, kind of lets me be myself on the songs. I noticed he was kind of egging you on a little bit on stage. Is that that's a typical night where you'll get some looks or like some yeah. cheers? <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. So I'll play some some nights. I'll keep it like I said. I never really play the same thing twice, and um all of maybe not all but most of the fills and stuff are are kind of just improvised tonight tonight and so that can kind of vary based on like the mood you know some nights i'll i'll keep it a little bit more you know straight ahead and and you know not too many crazy fills or anything and then other nights i'm feeling really good and want to try some new stuff and i'll kind of throw it in there and yeah sometimes he'll get really excited about something like i'll i'll play something that i've never done before and i'll i'll see him kind of yeah that's around. what i saw yeah <laughs> he kind of look back at me and sometimes i'll say it too like like he'll be like oh he's feeling it tonight or stuff like that so <laughs> it's just really fun and it's like it's encouraging it makes you better because it's like you know like that's that's kind of what you want from a leader it's like you know they they find something that you do well and kind of you know encourage it um and so that's really cool and that's really fun and sometimes he'll like look back like if he's really feeling it he'll look back and just be like go off and i'm like oh okay you know? <laughs> so, and sometimes he'll do it at a part where i'm like dude this part is not a go off part <laughs> you know but i'll do it and then the rest of the band's like, oh, my God, like just trying to keep on the click. And so, yeah, we, we have fun with it, man. And, you know, we don't take anything too seriously. And, um, yeah, got to keep it light up there. So one thing that, that really impressed me with with your playing was how fluid you are, even though at times you're wailing, like fluidity at higher velocities. Um, is that just something that came natural or have you kind of shedded that skill set? Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And yeah, I, um, I think that comes from, you know, when I first started playing, uh, the first like several years that I played, it was all about just like hitting really hard and, and playing really aggressively. I was always playing. Um, uh, that's kind of what my, what my focus was on. And then, probably sometime like, I don't know, 2011, 2012, like all of this kind of hip hop drumming uh, started becoming really mainstream, kind of like, like almost, I guess, what people call like Instagram drumming now. But at the time it was like these gospel chops videos and, and you know, these Thomas Pridgen and Aaron Spears and Tony Royster and all those guys. And even though I was playing rock music, uh, I always loved the way that those guys played. So I started learning certain things that they do and, and kind of taking taking chops from them and uh, incorporating them into the rock stuff that I was playing. So I kind of tried to mesh the two. Um, and yeah, I remember once when I was a kid, like I was copying whatever drummer was my favorite at the time i was just doing exactly what they were doing i would set my drums up like them i would you know and i remember my dad telling me like that's great but instead of copying that one guy and whoever you're 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 into at the time why don't you try to kind of combine all of those and, and make your own sound you know i thought that was really cool advice and um yeah i remember like that really resonating with me and so I tried to just kind of do that and and combine all these different things that I was a fan of that you don't typically see together. Um, and yeah, I think the way that I play now is kind of the result of that. Is your dad a musician? He's not, but it's crazy because I could tell all these stories about my dad and people always think 
that he's a musician, um, but he's not. But he's just a big music lover, um, just a just a wise guy, you know. Like just, you know, so often he'll say something, and I'm like, feels like a famous quote or something. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's super musical household. Like not playing wise, but. But growing up, there was always music blasting. Um, and my dad's just kind of, he's just very with it. Like, he introduced me to, you know, Smashing Pumpkins at the same time that he introduced me to Jay-Z. You know what I mean? Like, he Wild, just kinda, okay. He listens to everything. Like, there's, there's not much that he doesn't listen to. Um, and he was always, always very ahead of the curve with that kind of stuff. Still is. Uh, and... Yeah, so just just a eclectic music taste, and uh, I think that that had a huge influence on me. Speaking of which, who are your biggest influences? Top five or so: Jimmy Chamberlain, Elon Rubin, Taylor Hawkins. I feel like I gotta throw like a like a pop hip hop guy in there. Maybe Aaron Spears. I got that, that Aaron Spears had a DVD that I got when I was a kid that I, I learned a lot from that. I watched that thing like a thousand times. Um, I got one more. Dave Grohl. Solid. Yeah. All very fluid players except for Grohl, but he's got some fluidity to him too in his own way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Elon Rubin kind of. I find that he kind of does that too, where he's he's always hitting pretty hard, um, but he moves around so smooth, man. Like that guy, the way he flows around the kit, you know, I, I've never seen anything like it. So, what are you listening to these days? Lately, I've been obsessed with uh, this band, Tedeschi Trucks Band. I don't know if you're familiar with them, but. Uh, they're kind of like a jam band, but they have two drummers. And I just went and saw them last week and uh, pretty incredible show. So I've been listening to them a lot. Um, I'm always listening to a lot of hip hop. Uh, that's kind of what I grew up listening to the most. Um, my dad liked a lot of hip hop stuff. So I listened to a lot of 90s and early 2000s hip hop stuff. And um, hmm, what else? I don't know. That's that's kind of been the two main things lately. I've been really, really digging this Tedeschi Trucks band. Um, really good stuff and really, really different from what I do with with Beartooth. I don't listen to a ton of heavy stuff anymore. Um, I still like it and I still appreciate it, but but mainly, man, like when I come home, I'm like, you know, like, like right now, I got the, I got like a super basic setup going on, and I've got these like tea towel things on the drums and super dead sounds and i'm always just trying to do different stuff because i'm i'm so comfortable playing the the heavier stuff um and you know so i like to try and get out of my comfort zone and learn new things and uh the softer playing is is kind of what i'm what i'm going for right now because it's really really challenging for me hmm how do you approach practicing? Do you do you are you very specific about it? Do you play along the records? What is your typical practice session? I just kind of play. Sometimes I'll play along to records, but not not too much anymore. I get I get pretty bored doing that. Um, but I'll just kind of come in here and and just sit down and and just start playing. And sometimes I'll I'll stumble upon something that feels like a cool idea, um, and I'll record it really quick. And so I don't forget it and then kind of run with it and work on it and, and see where it goes. A lot of the times when I come in here, I kind of have something in mind that I'm, that I want to try. Um, something that I saw in, in a video somewhere or something. Um, so, you know, like a few years ago, I, I got really inspired by all this Latin drumming. And uh, so I started trying to learn all that stuff. So I'm working on that. And, you know, a, a couple months ago, I, I was uh, looking into these. I got super into the Gretsch Brown Badge stuff. And this is an example of here inspiring me. I got super into the Gretsch Round Badge stuff. And I really wanted a kit. So I got one. And it's a, it's a 12, 14, 20. So 
not really suitable for me to slam on. And I set it up and like it just made me want to play jazz, but I don't play jazz. I don't know how to do that, you know? So I started <laughs> just, just trying to explore that um, and see where it takes me. So yeah, it's, it's usually pretty loose and, and not very particular. Um, but, you know, I just try to have fun with it. You know, I used to be very methodical about it. And same thing with the touring, man. I used to be very methodical about it and like, I want to do this and that's going to result in me getting this gig and I want to do this. And now I, you, you get to this point where it's like, I just want to enjoy it. I just want to have fun, you know, and that's how I feel about playing too. I want to be the best I can, but I want to enjoy every part of the journey to getting there, you know. That's very wise. Wise beyond your years. <laughs> Most run in the family. <laughs> well, we're at the end of the hour, so I always end with with a similar question, which ends up maybe being three questions. But what was your first snare drum? Man, my first snare drum was I think it was a I think it was a groove percussion. Uh so, I mean, I'm gonna, I'll make, I'll try to make this relatively quick. But long answer: the reason I started playing drums, my dad lectured my brothers and I that we need to find a hobby. Like, you need to find something to do. You need to find something to invest your time into. I want each of you, each of you, to pick something, and I'll, you know, we'll figure it out. I'll support you doing it. And I was watching the Nick Cannon movie Drumline while he said this to me. And I was like, I want one of those drums. With things on the bottom. He's a snare drum. Yeah. So he got me a snare drum from Sam Ash. I think it was a group percussion. So I started with just that. Um, but I took like full kit lessons right away. Uh, so I never played like marching or anything. So yeah. So that's my first snare drum. Wild. Yeah. I didn't ask you about why you started playing drums. So you took lessons right away from day one. So I, I got that snare drum for my 11th birthday, which was, which is in August. And then my dad was like, see how you like it. You know, and I was just banging around on it, you know, aimlessly and bothering everybody and making noise. Uh, and my brother got a guitar. That's what he chose. And we went to a music shop uh, to get the guitar restrung because, you know, we didn't know how to do that. So we went to music shop to get the guitar restrung after a few months of me having my snare drum having his guitar and the guy at the shop was like hey we offered lessons here you guys are interested you know? and i was like do you guys do drum lessons you know so i signed up for drum lessons and it was like regular full kit stuff and my dad was like look let's do a few lessons and if you like it i'll try to get you a full kit you know so i think i did like three or four lessons um and i was like obsessed so for christmas so four months after i got that snare drum uh, for Christmas, I got a full kit, and yeah, and I took lessons for like the first two and a half years, I think, two and a half, three years of playing. What was that first kit? It was a Mapex, some cheap Mapex, like a like bass made of basswood, and like, and it's funny too. I still have it. It's funny. Uh, it has really deep toms for some. Like it's like a thirteen by ten, a twelve by nine. <laughs> But it's actually a really good sounding kit. Yeah, I still have it. My dad and I took it was a blue sparkle, but my dad and I took the wrap off uh, and did like a natural stain on it. And uh, yeah, it's at my dad's house collecting dust. But you know, I figure one day I'll be happy I have it. Yeah, I got rid of my first kits, and I I think about them often. Never should have did it. Yeah. Um, what about symbols? That's something I don't ask many people. What was your first symbols? My first symbols were Zildjian ZBTs, 13-inch uh, hi-hats, 14-inch crash, and an 18-inch crash ride. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Big guys. <laughs> All right. So then what was your first, like, professional drum purchase that you're like, I need to get something good? What, what was it? Does the chat does the Pearl Chad Smith snare drum count? Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was the first thing is like when I start when I I think I had been playing for maybe a year or so. And like I, I I mean I played a lot. Like right away. I know I've heard a lot of people where the story is like they get a kid and they're it 
takes a bit for them to get into it. But I was playing like nonstop. So, you know, fortunately, my dad was, was really, really supportive. And the snare drum on that Mapex kit, like the kit was great, but you know how it is. That was the type kind of kit that came with stands and everything. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like came with hardware and all that. And uh, yeah, uh, that snare drum was the first thing that I was like, okay, we got it. I need something better than this. I just feel like I'm going to break it, you know? So, uh, yeah, my dad got me the Pearl Chad Smith. I think it was steel 14 by five. I traded that and I really regret it. I, That's a I good drum. It's a good drum, man. And I traded it for like a slip. I got like right when I got into vintage drums I didn't have any money. And I traded it for like a 15 inch Slingerland marching snare that I thought was really cool, but I never even ended up doing anything. With. <laughs> oh, and you can find those anywhere now. <laughs> At the time, I was like, oh, it's a Slingerland. Like, it's vintage, you know? This is such a good deal for me, but I kind of got ripped off. <laughs> <laughs> Dope. Well, that's all the questions I have for this. Thank you. Awesome. And that is it for this week's episode. Please like, share, subscribe, give us a review, a five-star rating. Anything you do can help spread this show around to more drummers around the world. And we thank you for listening, and we will uh, see you next week.